Good morning, church. Today's message is very straightforward. God and idols are incompatible. Like fire and water, they don't coexist together. God and idols are incompatible. And God's attitude toward idol is zero tolerance. And that's the message in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 to 22. Paul is addressing a group of Christians in a specific situation when they eat food offered to the idols, meat offered to the idols in a pagan temple worship, in the midst of that, and they felt it was okay. And Paul is addressing that issue in this passage here. And first of all, he warned them to flee from idolatry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. He begins with, therefore, because in the previous verse, in verse 13, God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He will provide a way of escape. And therefore, we should flee from idolatry and we will be able to endure it as he promised in verse 13. The word flee is the present continuous tense. He is saying, keep on fleeing because it is dangerous. It affects your faith. It affects your relationship with God. It is a serious warning. See, although the food itself is morally neutral, Paul thus makes one absolute prohibition, eating it in the context of explicitly pagan worship service is always wrong. In such a case, eating the food is idolatry. So the bottom line is not always where. It is also who. If you associate with idol worshippers and participate in their worship ceremony, it is idolatry. So Paul was appealing to the sensibility of the Christians in the church in Corinth. He said, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. Judge for yourself. Paul trusts that the common sense that the Christians in the church of Corinth will win them over. They should have that common sense to understand that. And with that laying the foundation for this segment of the exposition, he gave the reasons why we should flee from idolatry, continue to flee from idolatry. In verses 16 to 22, he gave three reasons why we have to flee. First of all, in verses 16 to 18, he says, because when you do that, when you eat the food offered to the idols in the midst of a pagan worship service, you are participating and you will participate in idolatry, in idol worship. Verses 16 to 18, he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is, the, there is one bread, we who are many are one body, 
for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, and not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. As you listen to the reading of the scriptures, you can tell that there are two analogies that Paul was trying to convince the Christians in the church of Corinth. He used the New Testament Holy Communion as one analogy and the sacrifices offered on the altar in the Old Testament as two analogies to convince them that when they do that, they are participating in the idol worship when they eat the food offered to the idols uh, in the midst of a pagan worship. And you can also uh, realize that the focus, the whole focus is on our relationship with God. The word participation, participation came out three times. And that word is the word communion. That word is the word fellowship that we use so often. Koinonia, the fellowship, the relationship with heaven, with one another and with Christ. And he also used the word to partake as a way to share, to partner together, that we are bonded in the whole process. First of all, the Holy Communion in the New Testament. Look at verses 16 and 17. He says, look at the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing is the cup that our Lord blessed at the Last Supper when He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It is more than the cup that you are drinking. It is you remember the Lord's redemption. And the bread, the bread that the Lord broke at the Last Supper was a symbol of the giving of His body to unite all Christians into one body of Christ. And when you eat that bread, you remember the Lord's love of drawing us together in Christ, into His presence. So, in taking the communion, we are not merely eating the bread and drinking the cup. We are remembering the Lord. We are committing ourselves to follow Him, to serve Him, to love Him, and to be in union with Him. We are making a statement that says, Lord, I belong to you and you belong to me by your redemption, by adopting me to be your children. We are joined together in the body of Christ, and that forbids any other unions. Verse 17 says, because there's only one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And that one bread is Christ, who draws us to Him, who feeds us spiritually. See, Jesus is the reason behind the Lord's Supper. It's more than just food and eating and drinking. And verse 18, looking at the sacrifices on the altar in the, New, in the Old Testament, and likewise, the offering of sacrifices bind the people together in the common worship of God. See, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, says when the people came together and offered food as a sacrifice, as a worship for the forgiveness of sins. And later on, it was Christ Himself who was able to cleanse all sins when all the sins of the Old Testament in all times were placed upon Him on the cross. When they were doing that, that it was a worship service. It was coming before the Lord, offer the sacrifice and asking for God's forgiveness. It's a, it was a worship. And the, the food, the fellowship, and the meal follow, follow up 
after the offering of the sacrifice, on the portion of the sacrifice that the people were allowed to eat, it's more than just meat, more than just meal. It was a part of the worship service that comes before their eating and drinking uh, following the sacrifices. And Jehovah is the reason behind the sacrifices, who makes all these things meaningful. And what Paul was trying to remind the people in the church in Corinth is in the same way, in the same way, Satan is the unseen forces behind idolatry. And that makes it destructive when you participate in their worship service. See, Paul's reasoning goes like this. Christians will eat the bread at the Lord's Supper, thereby express their solidarity with one another and with Christ. And likewise, the Jews who ate the meat of animals offered in the sacrifices of Judaism express their solidarity with one another and with God, and therefore, Christians who eat the meat offered to pagan gods, idols, as part of the pagan worship, express their solidarity with pagans and the pagans' deities, that is, idols. And that's why we should not be a part of that pagan worship. And we should not be eating the meat offered to the idols in the midst of such circumstance. See, what he has in mind, uh, it's more than just the fear of them succumbing to the temptation uh, to, to worship idols, but he was fearful, Paul was fearful that they might enjoy again the atmosphere found at the idol temple. And they may be tempted to go back to the degree that they'll be lured back into believe in those idols and their power. See, idol worship basically occurs when anyone or anything becomes more important to you than the living God. And when what, what you own begins to own you, then it is taking the place of God in your life and you are on the verge of idolatry. Remember Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. No compromise. Zero tolerance. You cannot mix them. That's what Jesus was saying. The Apostle John says the same thing. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Clear separation. Incompatible. Worship God only. That's the first reason. Because you will participate in the idol worship when you eat food off of the idols in the midst of pagan worship service. The second reason he gave to remind the Christians in the church of Corinth is that you will be involved with demons. It's not just idol worship, not just an image, but demons behind all this. Verses 19 and 20, he says, What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that idols is anything? No. 
I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. I don't want you to fellowship. I don't want you to koinonia with demons. That's how dangerous that will be if you are involved in that whole process. In verse 19, he gave two rhetorical questions that Paul has answered already in chapter 8, verse 4 and verse 8. He says that the Corinthians claim idols doesn't correspond to any spiritual reality. Okay, In chapter 8, verse 4, Paul reminds the people that idols uh, doesn't come to anything. Idols has no real existence. And they also said that the food offered to idols is not anything. Well, in chapter 8, verse 8, he reminded the people that we are no worse off if we do not eat the food offered to idols and no better off if we do eat the food offered to idols. So they said that, well, it's no big deal. And even in the midst of their worship, pagan worship, idol worship service, when I eat all this stuff, it's nothing. Paul said, you are wrong. In verse 20, he was, cor uh, he was correcting them that idolatry involves evil beings in the unseen spiritual realm. And Paul did not want the Corinthians to be partners in communion with demons. He reminded them that forces of darkness and demonic world are behind the visible idols. And when you do that, when you are a part of their worship, pagan worship, you are exposing yourself to demonic influences. And it carved an idol in your heart, gaining a foothold, in your life and begin to take over. That's a danger of engaging in idol worships in the pagan temple and thinking that it's nothing, thinking that eating meat offered to idols is nothing. And Paul reminded them and warned them, flee from idol worship. And the third reason he reminded them to make a clear cut is verses 21 to 22, you will provoke God to jealousy. Verses 21 and 22 says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? No way. No. You will provoke God to jealousy if you participate in the pagan worship by eating food offered to the idols and thinking it's nothing, but it is a serious matter because it violated the exclusive relationship with God. And God prohibited syncretism. You can only worship God and God alone and God only. So in verse 22, he gave them a very stern warning that you, with your idolatrous practice, risk provoking the Lord, and you will not be able to withstand His judgment. See, it will be a folly to provoke God, the Lord, unless we are stronger than Him. If we provoke Him and we are not stronger, we can count on His chastening since He is a jealous God. You may be stronger than your weaker brother, Paul was warning the Christians in the church of Corinth, but you are not stronger than God. No way. 
you better submit to God. And any form of idolatry awakens the jealousy of God. You see, all through the Old Testament, we are told that God is a jealous God. In the Ten Commandments, the Second Commandment, recorded in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything, visible or invisible, that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, and that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, those who worship idols. But show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. It was clearly stated in the second commandment that thou shalt have no idol. Thou shalt not worship idol. And God's jealousy is a healthy jealousy. It is a love so intense, as one writer puts it, it is a love so intense for the object of his love that he is angry when something threatens it and he will act. He will not stand by idly and let you drift away into some idolatrous preoccupation with something of the world. He will strike at it, this writer says, and he will destroy it. And if your affection are so entwined with it, you are going to get hurt in the process. You'll find yourself crushed and hurt and crying out to God, why do you do this to me? But it is an act of love from a jealous God who will not allow you to drift into that kind of preoccupation. And you remember the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. In the third temptation, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All this I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Only. That only is so important. Absolute exclusiveness, zero tolerance. You worship God only and nothing else. So today the message is very straightforward. It's very clear that we are urged, we are urged to sever any association with idol worship for the sake of pleasing the Lord in case we provoke His jealousy. We are urged Appeal to us, Paul, to sever any association with idol worship for the sake of pleasing the Lord. Where does it come from? You know, sometimes we wonder maybe idol worship comes from the nation of Israel. Maybe idol worship comes from Canaan, where when they occupied the land, they learned from the local people. And maybe idol worship comes in the first, uh, in, in, the, in the New Testament, when, when the church was founded where there were mythologies, the Greek mythologies, and they make all these mythologies into deities 
and built many temples and shrines to worship them. But it, it goes way before that. It goes as far as the creation. In Genesis chapter 3, in the temptation, when the serpents tempted Eve, in verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4, Genesis, says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the first idol worship, appeal and temptation into idol worship. You will be like God. You are the captain of your soul. You are the master of your life. You can do whatever you want. You are accountable to no one, whether this life or life after. You are who you are. And you can be anybody you want to be. You are accountable to nobody. You will be like God. That's the appeal to idol worship. See, the idol worship begins with the substitution of God with created things or created persons. And Eve succumbed to that. In chapter 3, verse 6, the following verse says, So when a woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she succumbed to it. Not only her, but also Adam. Because that temptation was fulfilling her appetite, it was appealing to her sight, and satisfying to her desire. Just like 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the Apostle John reminds us, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The fruit was good for food. That's the desire of the flesh. And it was a delight to the eyes, the desires of the eyes. And it will make you wise, the pride of life. And those are not from the Father, but those are from the world, a, a form of idol worship. And of course, idols includes many things, visible and invisible, Good things, even good things can become idol, and bad things. We are more familiar with the visible idols. Idols we see in some of the shrines and places like that. It may be made of precious metals, images of mighty historic heroes, images that promise to make you powerful, or terrifying images that invoke fear in you as a way to control you but they are also invisible idols. We call it the idols of the heart. It can be materialism, things that we can see. It is so real. It is so substantial. We can touch it. We can feel it. It is impressive. And materialism, the possessions that we have, can be an idol that replaces God and say, hey, I don't need God. Look at what I have. I am secure. I am okay. Everything is fine. Why do I need God? Why do I need to succumb to a creator? I can create and I can recreate wealth and possessions and my destiny. And that becomes your idol. The idol of the heart can be your pride and ego, your achievements through your school, through your businesses, 
through your work and through all the things that you have made and created and, and, and achieved. And that becomes the diploma on the wall that becomes your credential, that becomes your resume and said that this is, I, I, I can handle it. I am indispensable. They need me. They can't go without me. I don't need God. I can handle myself. And naturalism, the powerful might of this created world, the forces of this world, and we worship them. And the power of science, the science deduced from the theories that God put in place to make the universe run and we discover them and think that we are in control and in charge and therefore we are God. We almost like we feel like we, we can recreate life. So we must be God. We can clone this and we can clone that. We can manipulate the DNA now. We can do things on the stem cell. So we God. And of course, the worst of the idols is yourself and myself. The self-centeredness. I want to be God. <laughs> I want to be in charge. I want to take control of myself. I don't want anything, anybody above me. All these invisible idols, the idols of the hearts, and many, many others sometimes do manipulate, and take us hostages when we blur the line of our loyalty to serve God and God alone. And this morning, we denounce the racial violence against not just Asian Americans, but as anybody. You see, we are all made in the image of God. We should respect the dignity of all human beings. When an individual thinks that he or she is superior and he can discriminate against any other people. He or she is playing God, redefine God's view on human being, usurping God's authority, and that's idol worship. That the, the many, many evils in this world can be traced back to I want to be God and I can do what I want, and I can redefine, and I can, I can set a value on you and you and others because I'm superior, I am God. That form of arrogance and idol worship is pretty prevalent in our society today. You see, in idol worship, the roles are reversed. In the proper worship, God is God and you and me are created beings. We are human beings created by God. The line is clear. You never cross that line. But in idol worship, that line is reversed. The roles are reversed. You become God. I become God. And whatever I created and think that this is idol, this is worship, that is your servant. That idol serves your purposes, makes you happy, empowers you, and allows you to do whatever you want. That is not God. You are God. You see, the nature of idol worship is to make yourself God. And some of you remember 
in the book of Isaiah chapter 44. It describes an idol-making process. It talks about how a person cut down a cedar or cypress tree or oak tree and begins to divide, chop up into smaller wood, pieces of woods and that, that woods can be burned and warm that person. And, and he kindled a fire and baked bread to eat. And also with the remaining of the woods, he make an idol and worships it. That whole process of making a visible idol is very much the way we make an idol in our hearts. And that individual pray to the idol and say, deliver me for you are my God. How foolish. How short-sighted. That piece of wood that you can burn and make into something that says you are my God. That piece of wood that is burnt to bake bread, to feed you, and that becomes your, your, your God, and you pray to that God, and deliver me, for you are my God. But that gives you a picture of how idols can formed in our hearts. That whatever shelters you, whatever feeds you, becomes an idol so easily. They begin to replace God our Creator, and thinking that whatever feeds you and gives you and, and empowers you and allows you to have all these resources becomes your God. By nature and by fundamentals, it is based on utilitarianism. It is useful to me. Things that are useful to you can easily become your idol. And one writer says the only antidote, the only antidote to idols is a superior affection for God the Creator, the one and the only God. This writer says we all worship something. We have to worship something. We are created to worship something. If we are not worshiping God, idols will naturally slip in to fill that void. And the only way to overcome love for idols is to be overcome with a greater love, a superior love for God. And once the superior love is set in place, then all other loves will be in their rightful place. Love for family, love for things that we enjoy, love for people and love for things around us will be in the right place. Once you set the superior affection in God, the Creator. You see, when we understand the length and the width and the height and the depths of the love of God, then God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We begin to respond to God positively as Christ inquired Peter on His loyalty in John chapter 21, verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this? That more than this is the superior affection for God. To love God more than this. To love God more than anything else. That's true worship of God. 
And Peter said yes to Jesus. Would you? Would you too say yes to Jesus when he's asked, do you love me more than this? And you can fill in the blank of what are these? Many, many things. Visible and invisible idols. Visible and invisible competitions for the attention of God. Visible and invisible substitutions for God. You can fill whatever in. I believe everybody's list will be different. Do you love me more than this? Peter said yes. What would you say? You know, God has zero tolerance toward idols. In Isaiah 42, verse 8, God declares, I am the Lord. This is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. That's the declaration of God himself. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no others, nor my praise to carved idols. God is saying, I am not sharing. There are things that you can share. There are things that you just can't share. God says, I am not sharing my name, my glory with any other gods that you think are gods, but they are actually idols. I am not sharing the platform. God has zero tolerance toward idols, and so must we. Let us pray together. Lord, thank you for reminding us that through the teaching of Paul, through the church of Corinth, that we shall love the Lord with all our hearts, all our mind, and all our strength, that we worship you and you alone, that the highest affection, the superior affection, should be given to God, our Creator, and nobody else. And once we set that in place, then our loves can be scattered, shared in a healthy way through other individuals and places and things because our heart is sealed in your court, in your presence. Lord, I pray that this is a commitment and this is a commitment because Peter said, Peter said yes to Jesus when Jesus asked him, do you love me more than this? And today we say yes to Jesus. Yes, more than this, more than anything else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.